reading of His Word to all of our hearts. I want to speak this morning upon the subject, Resolve to Follow Christ at Harvest Time. And there's that sequence of statements in verses 16 and 17 that I want to draw your attention to. But also then, notice at the end of the chapter, that last statement, that they came to Bethlehem in the beginning of barley harvest. We're going to bow together in prayer and ask the Lord for His help just now, so let's look to the Lord. Our Heavenly Father, we thank Thee we can gather in the house of God and come around Thy Word today. We bless Thee for all of Thy provision for us, both in material things and also in spiritual things. We thank Thee that we have the bread of life, the Word of God, and the one who, this book that speaks of Christ and reveals Jesus Christ unto us. And we pray today that Thou will draw near, Lord, and take of Thine own Word and write it upon all of our hearts, we pray. Speak to our hearts this day. May there be that resolve in our hearts to follow Christ. We pray that we would be like Ruth, even in that regard. So, Lord, grant help, we pray, grant help to hear. I need that added help to preach. Grant that now, I humbly pray, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. The timing when Naomi and Ruth returned to Bethlehem, the house of bread, is interesting to notice. It's obviously harvest time there from what we are told at the very last statement of this chapter. And remember that harvest time in Israel stretched out over somewhere in the region of four or five months. Barley harvest was the very beginning of harvest season. That was the very first crop that would have been harvested around uh, March, April time of the year. And then it followed on that the wheat harvest would come after that and the fig harvest alongside that. And that would take you into the summertime and then the summer grapes would be ready to harvest along with the dates and the later figs that would come at the summertime as well. And then as you progressed on into the end of summer and the beginning of autumn, you would come to the fruit harvest along with the olives that would be harvested just before autumn would be setting on. So harvest was spread out over uh, a number of months, and this is right at the very beginning of that harvest season, as we are told here at the end of the chapter. And that means that it was also Passover season when Naomi and Ruth came to Bethlehem. And what a special time of the year that was, because we know that harvest did not begin until the second day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And that followed on just after the, the, the Passover. The Passover feast was just one day, and then immediately after that, there were the seven days of unleavened bread. And on the second of those days, there was the waving of the sheaf. You read about it in Leviticus chapter 23, how they would cut the first sheaf of the harvest, and they would take that before the Lord, and they would wave that sheaf before the Lord, like a harvest thanksgiving. That's where our idea of a harvest thanksgiving service comes from. It was the practice among the Jews to acknowledge the Lord as the one who would give the harvest. And right at the very beginning and also at the end, the Feast of the Tabernacles came at the end of the harvest season. And it was a thanksgiving feast as well. But also at the beginning of the harvest, just as the harvest season was beginning, and that very first sheaf that would have been harvested was taken 
and wave before the Lord in acknowledgement that He is the Lord of the harvest and that He is the one who gives us our daily bread. So it is an interesting observation to notice just the circumstances in which Naomi and Ruth come back to Bethlehem. It's Passover time, a time when they remember their deliverance and the one who's able to bring them out of bondage. They're coming back to Bethlehem. The the word Bethlehem or the name Bethlehem means house of bread. And they thought that Moab was going to be the land of plenty and that they would be satisfied and filled and every need would be met in that land. And yet, as we have read there this morning, Naomi comes back saying, the Lord has dealt bitterly with me. It was a bitter experience to forsake the Lord and to forsake the land of Israel, to forsake Bethlehem, that place that had that wonderful name, the house of bread, and to go looking for the satisfaction of their soul in somewhere else, it didn't work out, and it won't work out for us either as the people of God to turn away from the Lord. But as I say, I want us to particularly consider these words that, that Ruth uttered just prior to her arriving in the town of Bethlehem. Somewhere along the road, as they were traveling, she utters these words to her mother-in-law, because her mother-in-law has attempted at least on four occasions here that are recorded in this opening chapter. On four occasions, she has attempted to persuade Ruth, along with Orpah, her other daughter-in-law, not to come back to the land of Israel and not to come back to Bethlehem. But Ruth, Ruth will not listen. Her mind is made up on these matters. Her, her sister-in-law has been persuaded. Orpah turns back, as we know, goes back to her people, goes back to her gods, goes back to a heathen way of living. But Ruth is determined that she is going to go on and that nothing is going to turn her aside and to stop her getting back to Bethlehem alongside Naomi. And it's this resolve, really, as it is given to us there in verses 16 and 17, that I want us to consider. Entreat me not to leave thee, or to return from following after thee. For whither thou goest, I will go, and where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, thy God my God. Where thou diest, will I die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if aught but death part thee and me. We all need a resolve to follow Christ. And certainly, come harvest time, it's an opportunity to renew that resolve in acknowledgement of what the Lord provides for us and how He's met our need materially and physically. He has met our need, but spiritually, far more importantly, He is the one who meets our need. And may we resolve to follow Him. I want you, first of all, to notice here a pattern that Ruth follows here. There might be circumstances that are certainly unique to Ruth as she comes to Bethlehem alongside Naomi, but there's also a long-established pattern here to observe as well when you think about her life. Because the pattern that comes to the fore when you consider Ruth here is that it entails her leaving behind a previous lifestyle. Leaving behind a previous lifestyle. She's going to turn her back upon all that there was in the land of Moab. And she's going to embrace that which she finds in the land of Israel. 
And while there's different circumstances in all of our lives as to how we follow the Lord and what we do by service for the Lord, there's still some things that are common to all that are the feature of every following of the Lord. And it certainly involves a turning of our back on certain things. We have to have the same spirit that Ruth had here in verse 16. Entreat me not to leave thee or to return from following after thee. There obviously has to be a steadfastness. You'll see there in verse 18 how Naomi observed this about Ruth, that there was a steadfastness. And if you have a margin in your Bible against that word, steadfastly minded, it, it suggests that she strengthened herself. It was the grace of God working in her life. That's what made her the individual that she was. That's what made her different to Orpah. It's not that there's just something in her personality here that she's headstrong and she's determined and she's going to go on and there's no talking to her. That's not what it is with regards to Ruth. That's not the spirit that is given to us with regards to Ruth and the rest of this little book. It's the grace of God that's working in her life. And where the grace of God works, God's grace gives that resolve, that steadfastness, or to take those words there in verse 18, steadfastly minded, steadfastly minded to go with her. And I wonder today, are we steadfastly minded to follow the Lord? Is that the spirit that finds us here in the house of God today? We're steadfastly minded. The grace of God works within us and gives us that desire to go on with God and to follow Him. Or maybe you come because of habit. Maybe you come on a Sabbath morning because it's the thing expected of you. And if truth were told, there isn't a steadfastness in your mind about going on with the Lord at all. Even as you sit in the house of God, your mind is filled with other things. You're distracted. The things of the week that's past or the plans for the week that's to come and whatever it is that's going to occupy your time. And those are the things that you're focusing on. And as for following the Lord, it couldn't be said that you're steadfastly minded to do so. Well, Ruth, Ruth was steadfastly minded. And the spirit that is in her is one that you find, for example, in Abraham. When you think about how he followed the Lord, the father of the faithful, the man who in many ways is the exemplar for the faithful to follow. That's why he's called Father Abraham. His faith, his lifestyle, his following of the Lord is something that we ought to certainly seek to imitate in our lives. If you go back there to Genesis chapter 12 and to where we're introduced to this man and the words that the Lord spake to him, in Genesis chapter 12, where the Lord said unto him, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation. I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. Abraham was called to leave his country. He was called to leave his family behind, his extended family. He was called to leave his father's house, his immediate family behind. He goes out not knowing where he's going. He knows he has to go. He has to leave. He has to turn his back upon certain things as to where he's going to end up. At that particular time, he doesn't know. He goes out in faith. His going out is 
mentioned in that great chapter in Hebrews 11 of, of faith, men and women who live by faith, stepping out, believing God and following the Lord, and not knowing where exactly they're going to end up, but knowing that the Lord will lead and the Lord will take them to the place where he would have them to be. But Abraham is a man who has to turn his back upon certain things as well. And to follow Christ, we have to turn our back on certain things. We have to turn our back upon the world. We can't have Christ and the world together. The two don't go together. One or the other has to go. And Ruth is going to turn her back on all of that in, in Moab, everything that Orpah is going back to and that she's been encouraged to go back to by Naomi. Ruth is going to turn her back on all of that. And she's going to follow a particular pattern. And in our lives it will, it will be seen as well. There will be those individual circumstances, but there will be common features in all of our lives as we're following the Lord. There's those things that mark out our lives from day to day. And we'll be like Naomi, we'll be like Abraham as well. We'll resolve to follow the Savior. In Matthew chapter 10, and verse 37, it says there the words of the Lord Jesus, He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. He that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. Well, Ruth is certainly fulfilling those words of Scripture. And so are you and me to call to do the very same today in, in our resolve to follow the Lord. We have to turn our back upon everything. Everything has to be on the altar. We have to take up our cross and follow Christ. I want you secondly to consider her profession. And that brings us a little closer to these words here that you find in verses 16 and 17. And they're in couplets here. They're six statements, but they go together in... in uh, three couplets. You'll notice, first of all, her submission there in verse 16, where she says, Whether thou goest, I will go, and where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Ruth certainly manifests the characteristics of following the Lord, for she's willing, she's willing to follow in the footsteps of another. Is that what she's saying here? When you think about her submission, wherever thou goest, I will go. She's not leading the way. That's not the spirit that, that is in Ruth, where she's going to take the lead, and she's going to determine what direction they're going to go in. She's saying to Naomi, I'm going to follow you. I know where you're going. You're going to Bethlehem. That's where I want to go. So she has this spirit of submission where she's going to follow in the steps of another. Well, is that not what someone who follows Christ professes to do? that we follow in the footsteps of another, even a greater than Naomi, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You think of those times when the Savior spoke to those that He called, and He said, follow me, follow me. They weren't to take the lead, they were to follow. And over and over again, the Savior repeats those words, follow me. And surely the thought is here, as it is set before us in Ruth, that we follow in the step, footsteps of another. There's someone who's going to take the lead. They're going to choose the direction. We're just following on in their steps. 
And that's what it is to follow Christ. It's not to go our own way. It's not to do our own thing. It's not to determine anything for ourselves. But we follow in the steps of another. Ruth has renounced her freedom of choice. She renounces it here. Where, whether thou goest, I will go. Where thou lodgest, I will lodge. She's handing that all over to, to someone else. And so it is with those who are resolved to follow Christ. Over in the book of the Revelation, chapter 14, and verse 4, you find a little phrase there, followers of the Lamb. Followers of the Lamb. Well, is not what we are to be, Christian? We're to be followers of the Lamb. We follow in His footsteps. He sets the way. He sets the direction in life. We follow on. We give the choosing over to Him. He chooses the direction. He chooses the course of our lives. And we're happy to do that. Ruth was more than happy to follow on in the steps of Naomi. She knew where Naomi was going, leading her to Bethlehem, the house of bread. And are we too not happy to let Christ lead us and guide us? Where is He leading us? Surely it's on to blessing. Ultimately on to glory. The realms above. But not only do you have her submission there in those couplets, I want you also to notice her separation. Because she goes on to say there, Thy people shall be my people, thy God my God. So she is very clearly indicating that she is forsaking her old associates. She is forsaking her old religion. There's going to be a severance. There's a cutting off here of that which characterized her previous life. Thy people are going, shall be my people. She's going to identify with the people of God. She's going to stand along them. She's not born as one of them. She's not an Israelite. She's a Moabitess by, by birth. But she's going to come in among them. She's going to know the spirit of adoption among this people. As we know, she ends up being part of the lineage of Jesus Christ through her marriage to Boaz. She's going to marry into the royal line. And she's going to have that great lineage that's even recorded in Scripture for us when you go over to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 1. So she comes in as somebody who's an outcast, somebody who's a stranger. And even if you want to take those words in the, in the New Testament, she's an alien to the commonwealth of Israel. She's got no standing whatsoever among them, and yet she's going to come in and she's going to be accepted and received among them. And so it is with those who belong to Christ. We who are outcasts, strangers, aliens, are brought in with the spirit of adoption. We are in union with Christ. That's good enough reason for us to resolve to follow Him today because of what He has done for us and bringing us in and, and saving our souls. Remember, the, the word church in the Bible, it's not used about a building, nor is it used of a denomination. It's used about the people of God. And the word church actually comes from two words. It means called out ones. It's a word ecclesiastical that has come over into our English language. And it's made up of two parts. And literally, the church, it means the called out ones, 
Well, called out of what? Called out of the world. Called out of the world. Called out of the teeming masses of humanity upon the face of the earth. That Jesus Christ has a people, a church, and he calls them out. They hear his word. The Spirit of God works upon their hearts. They come to him and they follow on to know him. And they're brought out of the world to follow Christ. There's a separation, all right. There's a separation from, there's a separation unto. Separated from the world and from sin. Separated unto Jesus Christ to stand with him. To follow him, to please him, to serve him. I want you also hear the thirdly here, not only her submission, her separation, notice her single-mindedness as well. Because verse 17, where thou diest will I die and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me and more also, if aught but death part thee and me. She was single-minded about this. Oh, she has it fixed in her mind. She's steadfastly minded, it tells us. But not only is she steadfastly minded, she's single-minded as well. There's just one thing that is before. She says, I'm going to follow the Lord all my life. I'm going to die among the people of God. I'm going to be buried among the people of God. They're not going to carry my remains back to Moab. And I'll be buried back among my own people. I've turned my back on those things. I'm going to identify with the people of God. And I'm going to die with them. I'm going to die with their hope. The Christian dies with a hope. We follow Christ and we have a hope. When we come to die, we have a hope. The word hope in the Bible isn't something that's open to doubt. The same way as we might use that word, I suppose in our language and how we use it, we might say tomorrow, I hope to do something. Or this incoming weekend, I say, I hope to do that. I hope to go somewhere. And by using the word hope, we're introducing a little doubt. We're acknowledging circumstances might overrule, and I might not be able to do that. But that's not how the Bible uses the word hope. The Bible uses the word hope as to a confident expectation, something that's sure and certain. The return of Christ is called the blessed hope. That's sure. That's certain. There's no doubt about that. He's coming again. The Christian has a hope, and it's sure and certain. It's not subject to circumstances. It's not subject to circumstances. It's not subject to feelings. It's a hope that remains to the very day we die. And Ruth has that hope, that single-mindedness here. She has her eye fixed on Christ, and she's not going to take her eye off him. And she's going to follow him right to the very end. Is that the resolve that's in our heart today? I want you thirdly here to think a little bit about the provision that came to her. She wasn't turning her back upon plenty and, ab and embracing poverty. It was the very opposite. She was coming back to the house of bread. That's what the name Bethlehem means. And it was indeed going to be for her, particularly, a house of bread. She was going to find provision in this place that it may well be that she never knew much of, if anything at all, until she arrived there. If you just turn over to the next chapter, chapter 2, verse 10, 
She acknowledges that she's a stranger. She acknowledges that she, she has come in as a stranger, but that she's found grace. It says there in chapter 2, verse 10 of Ruth, Then she fell on her face and bowed herself to the ground and said unto him, Why have I found grace in thine eyes, that thou shouldest take knowledge of me, seeing I am a stranger? So she's conscious that she's a stranger, but she's also here conscious that she's found grace in the sight of the Lord. There was wonderful provision made for the stranger in Israel. And Boaz is going to be the means of providing that for her. And she's introduced here to, to Boaz and she ends up becoming his wife. But there is no end of provision for the stranger. And Boaz is going to be the means of bringing that to her. Following Christ, being resolved to follow him is not a loss. Not at all. There's everything to gain. Everything to gain. It's not second best to resolve to follow Christ, young person. That's what the devil tells you. Oh, it's second best and maybe even worse. If you were to follow Christ and serve him, live for him your days, the devil comes along and he'll tell you, oh, that's second best. You could have something far better. That would be like Ruth staying in Moab. She would have missed out so much by not coming to Bethlehem. Can I quickly summarize for you something of what was provided for her? And what the Lord has said in His Word was provided for. There's three particular things that, that you can think about. It tells you in Leviticus chapter 23 that the reapers were to leave portions of the field for the stranger. Verse 22, Leviticus 23, verse 22, And the Lord says, When when you reap the harvest of your land, thou shalt not make clean riddance of the corners of thy field when thou reapest, neither shalt thou gather any gleanings of thy harvest. Thou shalt leave them unto the poor and to the stranger. I am the Lord your God. So when Ruth comes back to, to Bethlehem, and as you read on through this book of Ruth, you know that she went out to glean in the harvest field, and she went out, Maybe then realizing and being told for the first time, there's provision for you. You're a stranger. Far, furthermore than that, you're poor. But there's provision for you. Those who are reaping the fields in harvest time are not going to reap into the corners. They're going to leave them. They're not going to go back and pick up the things that have fallen, the sheaves that have fallen and been left behind. The Lord has forbidden them to go back and pick those up. Those are left for the poor and the stranger. They were left for Ruth. Isn't Christ pictured in that and the provision that is made for you and I? He's the one who's the bread of life. He'll satisfy us to the very fullest. He said, I'm come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. And just as there was a provision made for Ruth, she's a stranger, she's poor in Israel, she can go into the field, she can glean and what was left for her at the command of the Lord, so you and I can come to Christ, and all our needs are met in Him today. If you're not saved this morning, the saving of your soul alone can be met in Him. You cannot be saved any other way. Your sins cannot be forgiven any other way.
But every need child of God that you and I have is met in Christ. He's greater than our need. He's greater than our need. No matter how great your need is today, Christ is greater, and he'll meet you at the point of your need. But also, in Leviticus chapter 19, you read there about when they came to reap the vineyard. And remember, that, that, as I say, the harvest was staged over a number of months, as I said at the beginning. So they'd been out in the fields harvesting, and there was a command with regards to what was done in the, in the fields. They were not to reap the corners or to go back over the gleanings. And then when you come on forward to the time of the summer grapes, and in Leviticus 19 and verse 10, it says, Thou shalt not glean the vineyard, neither shalt thou gather every grape of thy vineyard. Thou shalt leave them for the poor and the stranger. I am the Lord your God. So as time goes by, there's more provision for Ruth. Not only out in the field, now months have gone by, and it's the summertime, and it's time to glean in, in the vineyards and reap the vines. And there's a provision made for her there as well. They were not to take every bunch of grapes off the vine. They were to leave some for the poor and for the stranger. They were to leave some for an individual like Ruth. Oh, no accidental provision. This was deliberately designed by the Lord to provide for the poor and the stranger. And what is it, men and women, that particularly meets our need with regards to Jesus Christ? It's His blood atonement. It's what's represented in the fruit of the vine. When comes a communion Sabbath and we partake of the cup, we're remembering that particularly. The meeting of our need is in a sacrificed Christ, a blood atonement, one who shed his blood for us. And Ruth had her portion. But then as we go on, what about the olive yards? What about the... the other months as time goes by, very quickly, Deuteronomy 24, verse 30, it says, When thou beatest thine olive tree, thou shalt not go over the boughs again. It shall be for the stranger, for the fatherless, and for the widow. Well, again, Ruth fits into that verse. Deuteronomy 24, verse 20. So they were not to beat their olive trees and take off it all the olives Whatever was left on the tree after it was initially harvested, they were to leave, and others were to come. The needy was to come and to take of this. The olive and the olive oil is typical of the Holy Spirit in the Bible. And today the Lord meets your need and will bless you through His Spirit. How are we ever to know anything of the goodness of God. It has to be brought to us, and it'll be brought to us by the Holy Spirit. Jesus Christ has purchased the gift of the Spirit for every believer, and He comes and brings to us the blessings of God. Is, is there a loss in following Christ and, and resolving like, like Ruth did? Was, was Ruth the poorer for it? Not at all. As I say, more than likely she didn't even know the fullness of the blessing that lay ahead for her when she went to Bethlehem. Only as time went by, she met Boaz. And we can go on to think in time 
will not permit us, but you can go on to think the rest of the account of Ruth, how even Boaz told his servants to leave handfuls on purpose for her. Oh, she had a full supply. But I suggest to you today that that all stems from what you read there in chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, and her resolve not to go back to Moab, but to go on. And Christian today, resolve to go on with the Lord. Resolve to go on with the Lord. Pledge afresh to the Lord. You'll follow Him. You'll not be the worse off for it. I want you to turn over with me to one verse of Scripture as I conclude. Psalm 104, because it brings together this one verse. It's verse 15. brings together those three things that I've just been mentioning to you there that Ruth enjoyed when she came back to Bethlehem. Psalm 104, and it's verse 15. Well, maybe we'd better take the, the previous verse just to get the start of the sentence. It's referring to the Lord. He causes the grass to grow for the cattle and herb for the service of man that he may bring food out of the earth. And then here's the verse, and wine, or the vines. The word wine doesn't always mean even what comes out of the fruit of the the the. Uh, the grape, but sometimes it's just referring to the grape, but the wine that maketh glad the heart of man, oil to make his face to shine, and bread which strengtheneth man's heart. Those are the three things that Ruth got when she came back to Bethlehem. Those three things. And you can even look at that verse in the Psalms, in the context of it, to see how the Lord blesses and how the Lord provides. There's no loss in following Christ. Maybe you need to start to follow Christ today. Maybe you have to say, I haven't got a, a thought of Him at all, and I'm certainly not steadfastly minded. Maybe you need to start out on that road. And may the Lord 